welcome to this episode of the Horror Drafts Podcast. I'm your co-host, Brantley Palmer, joined as always by my other co-host, Mr. Nicholas Schwartz. Hi, Nick. Hello. I'm very excited because we are joined by a very special guest today. Uh, He's been working in the film and television industry for the last 15 years. He's based in Massachusetts and for the past 10 years has worked primarily in the locations department on productions like Black Mass, The Judge, Central Intelligence, Detroit, Smilf, The New Mutants, Defending Jacob, and recent Academy Award nominee, Don't Look Up. But most importantly, he is the third and final host of the Get Your Film Fix podcast, completing our hat trick of getting all three of the co-hosts on this podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the pod, Mr. Jeremy Fisk. Hi, Jeremy. How are you? Good. That was that was a great introduction. I appreciate that. Um, oh, thank you. But you you have mentioned, I'm sure, in the past that you, you were one of the founding and original members of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. Uh, I actually don't know if I ever have mentioned that on the podcast. Maybe I have, but yes. Yeah, I, I mean, I you obviously went thing. on to bigger and better things, greener <laughs> pastures, stuff like that. We understand. But yeah, uh, Brantley was uh, one of the founding members with uh, Lee and I when we yep. first started it. And, and then you also made me feel super old by saying I've been working in film intelligence for 15 years, which is absolutely true. But when you hear it out loud, you're like, gee, where did the time go? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's uh, that's happening a lot to me too. As I like, you know, work with college age students and like discuss certain things or uh, you know basic things that I thought everyone would have grown up with, and it seems so foreign to them. But yeah, man, no, it's it's a huge accomplishment, man, that you've been continuing to work uh, in the industry for fifteen years. You're kind of got the locations, uh, you know, area locked down there in Massachusetts. Yeah, it's funny. It's like at this point between uh, Don't Look Up and like I worked on a movie um, It's going to be out called Spirited. Like I feel like we've run out of <laughs> we've run out of places to film. Like we're just, keep, you know, like we're going back to the well a lot, which is which is interesting. But yeah, yeah. I guess how, how it works. Well, you know, and I gave a very abbreviated uh, list of some of the productions you've worked on. You've worked on a, a lot more than that. And actually, there's a couple I wanted to talk to you about because well, sure. we're, a, we're a horror podcast. So why not talk about some of the horror related things you did? You were on the locations department of the most recent uh, season of Dexter, Dexter uh, New Blood. What was that like and whereabouts in mass were they shooting? Yeah, so I was on that briefly because um, I was doing... Uh, I think I did don't it was in between when I did don't look up and spirited so I had okay. like uh, a month and a half that they they needed somebody to help with their big location which was the essentially the town of Iron Lake I don't know if you watched any of the Dexter mm-hmm. but it's a new supposed to be in New York the town of Iron Lake where you yep. see that bridge and all, all, like where the, the uh, sports goods store is and where the incinerator was and the the tavern and like the whole community there, mm-hmm. um, which was filmed in Shelburne Falls, Massachusetts, where we also filmed the judge a decade earlier. Nice. No, that's yeah, which awesome. is way, way out in Western mass. So okay. it's, it's, it's out there. Yeah. Yeah. So you really kind of traverse all across the state because you're more based on the Eastern side of the state, right? Yeah. So, I, I I mostly stay east, like very rarely, unless it's like a movie like uh, or a show like Dexter, where they have to specifically be there for that town, or like something like when I did the Finest Hours, which we had to be in Chatham on the Cape for that because it mm-hmm. was a movie about uh, a shipwreck that 
happened in Chatham years and years ago. Uh, I mostly stay sort of locally within like a 40 minute radius of Boston is how it works and how it works with the unions really. Mm, Gotcha. And then you also just uh, completed working on the Boston Strangler movie that's in production or or is completed and is in post right now? Yeah, it's in post. Uh, Finished that about a month ago. Oh, nice. Um, Yeah. uh, It was with a director that I had actually worked with years and years ago on a super indie movie in which I was like the the truck driver and the production coordinator, you know, and the PA and everything. I just uh, and he was able to uh, bring back a a big movie starring Keira Knightley. And uh, I was happy to his name is Matt Ruskin happy to work with him again too it was uh it's fun when when you see people you know that you started with become successful like that yeah that's awesome uh so uh, to circle back to uh get your film fix i i have to talk about i mean we're peek behind the curtain we're recording this two days off after the oscars or as people in the podcast game know the second best award show after the fixies which are the get your film fix award show that you guys just did in in las vegas uh i I, you know I, i should tell everybody you know conflict of interest my accounting firm palmer and associates palmer and associates tallies all of the fixie votes for the winners uh so i I wanted to talk to you about that because you guys literally did go to vegas to record the uh get your film fix fixie awards episodes uh what was that like we were invited to Vegas. Oh, sorry. Excuse me. You're right. And I forget which which uh, of the big casinos invited you out there to have it there at their show. It was it was at the Aria. Resort. The Aria. Yeah. Yeah. Resort. They they basically they said have this suite, mm-hmm. but you have to pay for it. You can uh, <laughs> you you should come here. You should do definitely do your podcast, but you you're you're gonna have to pay for everything. Which was a little bit of a bummer. It felt like it yeah. wasn't quite an invite, but you know we did, we did appreciate it. Um, yeah. You know, uh, and then if you like the Oscars, I um, I, I actually uh, I, I full out uh, put Lee in a headlock during the fixies until he passed out for a oh, few nice. off, for a few off-color jokes but mm-hmm. you know how you know how he is it's like, yeah runs his mouth oh yeah of course well once yeah. again you know the oscars <laughs> taking all their cues from the fixies yep. just like it always works every year it's unbelievable it's, isn't it's, it? it's really disappointing and i have to commend all of you because you know the third co-host is chapin hemingway who is who was on earlier uh so we've mentioned lee and, and uh wanted to get chapin's name in there as well uh, you guys did this while uh, trying, well, while being intoxicated and checking your breath, blowing into a breathalyzer the whole time to see how intoxicated you were. And uh, well, what was that like? That it was awesome. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the whole idea was not to be intoxicated, though. It was uh, to get a, keep a steady buzz, so you could you could sort of gauge yourself mm-hmm. as as the uh, show went on. And I think. Um, it got a little messy at the end, mm-hmm. but overall, I think we did a pretty good job. And I want to commend you for tallying all those votes. It's actually you do a great job, and it's a lot of fun because we don't know the winners. You know, yeah. we kind of can figure it out, but sometimes there's some close calls, and then we just you know go through Palmer and Associates uh, uh, PowerPoint and 
reveal it to the world. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, God, I think that was, I think this is my third year in a row uh, doing it. I think I reached out to Lee and was like, hey, do you want me to figure out what these are so that it just is a surprise when it comes up? I mean, obviously, you know, actually, this year's Fixies was the first one in at least three years where there wasn't a unanimous choice. So that was actually kind of interesting. And there yeah. was a number of them that were pretty close, like within two or three, where unless you were like really, you know, tallying them as they were going, you wouldn't have known. So it was it was a couple surprises this year. Yeah, and what I like about the Fixies is I think ultimately the Fixies get it right. You know, mm. even if like my number one doesn't get picked as number one, but my maybe my number three does, and like it was Chapin's number one and Lee's number, you know, two. Mm-hmm. The way the scoring system works, I think I, th- I think overall it does a, a a good job, and I think it it um you know it it it, it factors in all of our opinions sort of equally and i think ultimately comes to the right conclusion when you look back on it yeah yeah i think so too oh wait i mean sorry are you saying coda was not the best picture of the year are you saying the oscars got that wrong i was also filmed locally in massachusetts so <laughs> i am no saying comment. That, yeah no <laughs> no I'm, i signed something you just couldn't say it since it was yeah. a podcast I gotcha. No, actually, um, it's funny because Lee did his um, the you know the Oscars you know voting pool or whatever, and and I did it like very last minute. But my number one for my confidence at twenty four points was Coda being best picture because I just felt like the Oscars was going to pick all like kind of feel good stories yeah. essentially this year, and it it played out uh, like I had anticipated. Yeah, I did horribly on that Oscar pool. Yeah, I couldn't believe how good Kevin did. I think he only missed. It's like, like a the less you, them. the less you know. Yeah, well, they, that's why I was uh, fourth, I guess. <laughs> yeah, because I like have opinions, and I'm like, well, I kind of want this to win. Maybe I'll put it there, and that, that mm-hmm. was stupid. Kevin just looked up who's probably gonna win. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Not a lot of surprises this year, it sounds like. Uh, well, anyway, I, I wanted to kind of um, get into what we usually do for our next segment, which is uh, we just talk about what we've been watching or reading or listening to or otherwise consuming. And um, as our guest, Jeremy, is there anything you wanted to talk about that you've been uh, checking out lately? And in all the time you have um, and all the work you do on film? And all the extra. Well, I want to plug. Uh, we just did a 50th anniversary for the Godfather podcast, so um, <clears throat> I want to plug that. We uh, revisited that. Uh, as far as um, new stuff, television. Um, uh, we, me and my wife, have been watching uh, The Great, which oh, I don't know if you guys have seen that. Love it. So good. it's so good. It's um, it's uh. It stars Nicholas Holt and Elle Fanning. It's a very Lanthimos-type humor, which I absolutely love. I know it's not for everybody. It's really sort of fucked up. But uh, I think, you know, it kind of takes off after... um, uh, What the heck was the movie with um, that Lanthimos directed that we... That one... um, the fixie for the best picture a couple of years ago. The lobster? The, no, not the lobster. Oh, uh, uh, Killing of a Sacred Deer? No, it was no. the. Catherine. Uh, it was. Um, Olivia Coleman starred in it. The favorite? Uh, the favorite, thank wow. you. That one. Uh, yeah, so it kind of. It, it's in that world. 
um, and it's in that humor. So that one, I, w- I would, I would highly recommend the Great. Nice. I think that's the second time a guest has recommended it, and I think the third time it's come up because I think you mentioned you had started watching it uh, previously, right, Nick? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've yeah. now finished the second season. We're fully caught up, and yeah, nice. Um, probably said it already when we talked about it before, but cannot recommend that show enough. It's it really is hysterical. Um, I was not sure, like, I think the fact that it's like a period piece probably turns a lot of people off and i will be frank and say like at first that was kind of not that i don't like period pieces but like when you're going to invest for like a movie it's one thing but when you're going to invest two seasons worth of show time to something i want to know what i'm getting into and period piece wasn't speaking to me but it's it's absolutely riotously funny um nice and it's super well done um pretty to look at it's just a great show awesome yeah, that's great. Yeah, I think uh, Oriana Schwent had recommended that in episode five previously. And I think every time it's come up, I'm like, yeah, it's it's on my queue. I, I unfortunately haven't gotten to it yet. But now that so many people have brought it up on this show, I guess that's going to have to be the next thing I start watching. Uh, Nick, what about you, man? What have you been uh, consuming lately? Uh, not a whole lot. I will say, I finally I haven't, movie-wise, I saw... I'm like years late. I saw Sonic the Hedgehog <laughs> with mm. my son, which was a blast. Um, nice. I'm gonna just be honest. It was it was a lot of fun. I don't yeah. care about Sonic the game. I don't care about any of that. But my son really loves Sonic, and to watch it with him was it, like just so so fun. Um, so I'm actually looking forward to the second one. To be honest, uh, should be oh nice. Should be a good time. You gonna bring um, him to the theater to see the sequel there? I'd, I mean, that would be his first theatrical experience. It would be pretty cool. But uh, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see where we're at when that comes out. Um, That'd be awesome. COVID-wise or whatever. Yeah. Um, and uh, I know we talked about it months ago, so again, late, but I saw Halloween Kills finally. Oh, um, yeah. I'd love to hear what you think about it. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't want to like do any spoiler stuff, but I, I think I'm on the probably um, in the... Uh, minority here but i really i liked it better than the than david gordon green's first halloween um oh. than the 2018 version um nice. to be honest i felt like the 2018 version was too much of a retread of the original even though i felt like it was it was very well done i enjoyed it from start to finish but um i i know a lot exactly what turned off a lot of people i think about halloween kills is what really was like did it for me it was just felt different it felt like the first true sequel which i felt like the original the 2018 version was supposed to be um but i felt again like that was a retread and then this was finally like kind of paving some new ground here um Mm. and there were some decisions made that i felt were actually pretty bold that i'm a little on the fence about but um uh yeah again no spoilers but like the ending makes a pretty bold decision for the franchise as a whole yeah that was kind of like makes a declaration about michael myers that i mean that's you know it's that he's whatever it's not a spoiler that he's like actually supernatural which yeah that was one of the things that when we talked about it and i didn't really say what but i was like there were some decisions made where i don't really know what the direction is going to go and if i like it but um yeah yeah that was what i was referring to (laughs) that makes sense yeah i yeah i really torn i think on the one hand, I'm like, that goes against everything that I find scary about that character, which is that he's mm. just like a guy. Yeah. Um, so to outright say that he's something more than that is uh, is questionable. On the other hand, 
they're what like 12 how what is this the 11th 12th i forget what installment this is but they're yeah. that many movies deep into this franchise and they've made a pretty big decision to basically like make that canon so yeah that's kind of cool you know it's sort of like what my argument was with um friday the 13th part six and why that's one of my favorites is that like yes while it brings him into like this supernatural unstoppable killing machine area it's arguably where he kind of was anyway because he just kept coming back anyway which is sort of what mike myers was doing anyway when you take him from like one two three you know four five and six and six kind of swings into that supernatural realm as well with the cult and everything so that's true you know so there was just you know i guess they're kind of if the first gordon green one was tying too much into the first film i don't know if this one's tying too much into six or this in the supernatural (laughs) but it's at least hinting at uh that area i guess yeah that's Um, fair i'm curious what they'll do with with the third and final one um of this trilogy if they're really gonna like lean into that or if that's just like a thing that kind of an aside that closed the second movie that they're going to like ignore we'll see yeah we'll see i i am curious to see where it goes um i'd say i still I'd like the first one a little bit more than this, although there were lots of things I really liked in the second one, Halloween Kills. But yeah, I'm very curious to see where they take it in the third. Uh, was there anything else, Nick, you wanted to talk about? No, I've been, yeah, pretty slow movie watching okay. lately. So how about okay. you? Uh, so there was a couple of things I wanted to talk about. Um, I There are uh, two podcast-related ones. So I brought it up before, but uh, the podcast Dead Eyes, hosted by Connor Ratliff, they finally did it. Tom Hanks came on to the podcast to talk about Connor Ratliff being fired from Band of Brothers. And that's how they ended season three. So if you haven't been listening to the podcast because you're like, I don't know, is this going to have any resolution? There is at least some resolution because Tom Hanks finally came on the podcast. And uh, they're, I think, still planning to do a season four. But what that's going to be, he's not sure at this point. But uh, that was like a huge thing. So I had to bring it up again because I was very uh, happy to hear that. Um, Jeremy, I don't know if you're familiar with that podcast. Uh, Yeah, I have no idea what that podcast podcast is okay so connor ratliff is like a comedic actor and uh he was originally cast in one of the episodes of band of brothers back in like 2000 and he had like this small part but he ended up getting fired because he got called back in to re-audition because the casting people were like tom hanks saw your tape and thinks you have dead eyes that's the story that was told to him in like the year 2000 or whatever. And so this whole podcast for three seasons has been an exploration of that, but also just like the failures and failures and trials that actors go through and like coming so close to parts and losing them and things like that. And so it's actually a really fantastic podcast that it might seem like it really dwells and is like bitter about it, but it really isn't in any way. Um, and so it was actually really great that he was able to get Tom Hanks on to, to talk about it. So it's really fun. I highly recommend it to anybody. It's, it's phenomenal. Uh, the other podcast I wanted to mention was um, it's a it's a newer one called Attack of the Final Girls. And I only knew about it because they followed our Instagram account. Uh, yeah, that's Nick. how I know about it. I, that's yeah. Great. And so I, I, I actually started listening to it because I was like, oh, this is really, this is cool. I'll ch- check them out. And I friggin love them. I list, I've listened to every episode. I think there was like 10 or so. And I'm just sitting there thinking every time I listen, like they're like, they're, they're, they're saying exactly the things 
I'm thinking, but in a way more like articulate and concise and intelligent way than I could. Um, because like when I go through and edit these podcasts, I'm just like, oh my God, Brantley, Jesus Christ, every single time. So um, I got to really give them a, a shout out. I think they uh, have a phenomenal podcast and I think other people should listen to it. Um, otherwise, you know, movie wise, I haven't watched a ton of horror movies. Well, I've actually... <laughs> I've actually watched a few horror movies, but I've had them with the audio commentaries on because um, uh, I think since we last recorded, I have started working as the researcher for the With Gorley and Rust podcast. Uh, Matt Gorley and Paul Rust, two comedic actors, they have a phenomenal uh, podcast called With Gorley and Rust. So I Wait, so how, how are you on this? What? It's the Matt Gorley from Conan? Yeah, yeah. He produces Conan's podcast from Super Ego, and he does a podcast with Paul Rust, the actor um who is in like love on netflix and um and they do uh they have a, they're both big horror movie fans and so they have a podcast called with uh with gorley and rust and the first season which was a few years ago they did uh in it was called in Voorhees we trust with gorley and rust because they were doing the friday the 13th franchise and then it morphed into in gruger we trust with in kruger you know whatever they went through the big horror franchises and so uh, they now have like a steady one that's just called With Gorley and Rust. It's their, as they call it, easy listening horror podcast, um, which I will say, like, if there is any podcast that I have, you know, attempted to, you know, emulate the tone of, it's uh, With Gorley and Rust because they're just like, you know, very kind, you know, nice dudes talking about uh, horror in a very like laid back way. And, and um, we've gotten compliments, Nick, about how we're like a very nice and kind podcast about horror movies. So uh, that was kind of very, uh, you know, uh, heartwarming. And so um, I reached out to them and was like, hey, do you guys want a researcher for the podcast? Um, because, you know, there was something, you know, that I would listen to episodes and they'd be like, oh, I wonder if that's the same blah, blah, blah and things like that. And so um, one of the things when I do my research is I try to watch the movies, but with the audio commentaries on so I can actually get like the direct, you know, from the horse's mouth from like the director or the producers who worked on it and that sort of thing, because I'm doing they're doing Stephen King right now and some of the stories like Maximum Overdrive is such a wild movie that it's like how much of this is myth how much is legend about the stuff you read online so um uh, yeah I, I've been a researcher for them and so I've done um Silver Bullet was the first one I did and then we did Maximum Overdrive I did Misery and I'm working on notes for The Running Man right now um so they'll have that uh before this week is over so yeah, that's what I've been doing. But I, I haven't really been watching those as much as listening to the directors and producers and stuff talk about the productions as uh, the commentaries are going on. So, well, that's pretty cool that you were able to get in touch with them and and do that. Yeah, yeah. I ju- I literally just shot them an email. I was like, hey, I don't know if you would want this, but I you know I'm a librarian. Uh, I like doing research. So if you want, I I can be the researcher for the pod. So and. Um, yeah, so it's been pretty fun so far. But, that's awesome uh, to hear. Yeah. 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 Um, all right. So that's what we've been listening to. Can I also watching. plug plug one podcast that doesn't need any plugging, but I've been I didn't know podcasts were part of it, so yeah, yeah, uh, I've been listening it. to a lot of the Always Sunny in Philadelphia podcast. Oh nice. Yeah. Nice. It's actually very, very funny. Yeah, that's all. That's all the actors, right? It's like Rob and, yeah. and yeah, them on it. Right. Yeah, and Charlie, and they're Charlie, just yeah. kind of. They're supposed to talk about the show. They're like go through each episode from the beginning. It's the idea, but it never really gets there. Um, they just did go off on tangents, and it's uh, it's really good. 
That's great. Have, have any, either of you watched Rob's uh, Apple TV show, Mythic Quest? I have, yeah. It's pretty nice. good. I like I, it. Yeah, I like that one a lot, too. Uh, all right, awesome. Well, uh, let's do what we're what you all are listening for us to do which is to draft the horror movies with the best cinematography um this is a five round serpentine draft prior to recording we set up the um order of the draft uh it is going to go nick then myself and then jeremy going third in the first round so he will get the back-to-back in that first round um let's see rules um Jeremy Fisk is the commissioner of this draft. He will have the final say on picks, whether they are actually horror movies and can be drafted or whether they can't. Um, He told me he was a little iffy beforehand on some of them. And I said, well, sir, you can be the commissioner if you want and have final say. And so he decided to do that. Uh, We'll see how much power he wields with it. You know, for the most part, people have been pretty... (laughs) Pretty oh, I'll wield the it. power. You guys, uh, <laughs> you guys haven't had me on the podcast. Yeah. Uh oh. What are we getting into here? The first guest. You might be the first guest to actually be commissioner or voluntarily be commissioner. I don't think anyone's taken us up on that. Well, oh, I took it up real fast too. <laughs> I guess technically Corey and I think Nick were when we were doing um, Friday That's the Thirteenth and Halloween, but like, yeah. there's no. There's... You can't really make a wrong pick in there because you're stuck yeah. to the franchise. Um, so, yeah. <clears throat> can I preface this by saying, um, and and Brantley knows this about me, it's not that I don't like horror movies, I do, but I've always been the one to say, a movie's a movie's a movie. So, it's not like I gravitate towards one genre specifically over another, but I also mm-hmm. don't get into the weeds with like every seeing every Halloween movie... Um, you know, every nightmare movie, like all that sort of stuff. It's like, if it's recommended to me, if it's, you know, if people seem to like it, get good reviews or stuff like that, I will, I will absolutely be on board, but, um, you're not going to get like a a Halloween six from me. (laughs) Well, I think it'd be a surprise for anyone listening. If you picked Halloween six, not that it's particularly (laughs) bad. I just, that's my number. That's my number one pick. (laughs) uh well no no that's that's great man and uh look you know i i actually feel i you know i like horror movies but i feel like a little maybe out of my depth here because some of you know arguably some of the best are giallo films and i did feel like i don't have like a good background and and knowledge of giallo films so um i don't know if i'm necessarily going to be like uh i'm sure there's gonna be plenty of people listening who are like i can't believe you took that american horror film over you know whatever italian horror film that they would have preferred mine are mostly all american okay so all right i also think that you bring up an interesting point because i I feel wholly unprepared for this. I but I've been like, I've been, I went through my entire Letterboxd account. I was like reading these horror books, trying to like rack my brain, and I do not have a big enough. I'm hoping none of you choose any of these because I only have five. I'll figure something out if you do, but like I really mm-hmm. tried to get more. But ultimately, yeah. I, the hangup I was finding is that you mentioned Jalo films, which I'm also not as familiar with, and I understand that they're gorgeous to look at, but when you pick you know what what is the criteria of like best cinematography is it just that it serves the movie like the atmosphere of the movie is it that it is pretty to look at period because like a lot of giallo films at least the ones i've seen are gorgeous but it's it's almost like all flashy i'm not Mm -hmm. sure that the movies would it certainly makes them easier to watch and and you know more 
visually appealing, but would yeah. that story be on, like almost just as well served if it wasn't drawing so much attention to itself with the camera work? I don't know. That's hard to say. But I mean, like, also that style has defined that entire like subgenre. So, mm. like, it's part of it. I don't know. So ultimately, I didn't. I don't even have like one set of criteria. I might have different reasons for every movie I chose. Yeah, and I'm in the same boat with you. I was like, I was trying to find that balance between like looking gorgeous and like the importance of the camera work itself within you know the film and how it's being used to tell the story. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna probably have different. Uh, <laughs> different justifications for every one of my picks as well uh so this will be interesting yeah i'm excited uh well without further ado nick you're on the board with the first pick in the first round of the best cinematography horror drafts episode all right i'm gonna continue my um tradition of of getting the guaranteed reach here by picking jason x um no i'm not i'm not picking (laughs) jason x i'm sorry um i will actually continue a tradition here though by maybe stealing something from you guys which is my number one choice is the innocence God, um, mother fucker. i know i'm so, that's that was exactly me. what happened that was mine that was gonna be my number three pick and i thought i was gonna back to back it yep that's exactly Man. why i had to pick it first i knew it was gonna be on both of your lists yep. there's no question that was it would have been gone the very next pick with me if you hadn't because yeah course. you took it in the prestige horror in like round three and i thought i'd be able to get it in round four or five and so i said this I'm picking it number one, whatever I choice to... I have. That's why I'm glad uh, I was first. Yeah, Lee Lee was pissed, I think. Um, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, we, we both you know, were. It wasn't just inconvenienced, <laughs> he was angry. Um, okay, yeah, I mean, like, well, I'm sorry, I have, to, I have to pick it. I'm struggling for five anyway, but what is there to say about that movie? Uh, gorgeous, um, anamorphic framing, black and white, crisp cinematography, the Criterion release of that is just beautiful. Um, I to this day i the best probably the best looking cinematic experience i've ever had at the movies was that i saw a 35 millimeter print of that at the museum of the moving image and it was just stunning like the actual i'd seen the movie before i think it would be a different story if that was my first experience with it but having seen the movie i was able to just like take in that movie on the big screen and it was like nothing like it it was incredible brantley you remember when when we first saw that movie yeah, it was a just effing watch it, right? Just effing watch it at recommendation for us. Yeah, forget your film fix. And I think all of us were just like blown, blown away. away. Yeah. And just like, how did we not watch this before? Because this is amazing. Yeah, no. Well, I knew there was a risk when Nick got the Sorry. first pick. and uh, But I was hoping you'd have some other one that you really wanted to talk about that you'd have put there first, but... That's See, I, I, I heard enough about the rest. I was I hoping you guys would go real random with the first few that, like, ones where I'd be like, I don't, uh, that's not even on my list. So, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, no, I was, I was hoping Nick would have a random one up his sleeve as well. Uh, <laughs> but well, uh, you boy, Nick. So if I'm looking at you know the order that I put these in, that I, I don't think you're gonna like my next pick. I'm not. I know what it is. Yeah. Um, Let's see. uh, Let's hear it. So I'm, well, now I'm having a, now I'm having Uh, a change of heart if I want to take that actually or not. (laughs) You're on the clock, Brantley. I know. Wait, Kamish, how much time do I have left? You got, you got 10 seconds. Oh, Jesus. Okay. All right. I am. And with the second overall pick. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm actually going to change it up and take a, another black and white horror film that is far more recent, but also beautiful, beautifully stunning. And I'm going to take A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. Okay. Uh, with Not my even pick. on my list. So Yeah, I, I thought that might have been. It's, it's a foreign horror film. Uh, oh, gosh, I'm blanking on what country it comes from. Um, somewhere in the, it's in the Middle East, right? Um, Nick, do you know, do you recall? I think it is. I haven't actually seen the movie. It's been on my list for like years now. It's on Shutter, I think, or it was for a long time. It's okay. yeah, I'm pretty sure it's the Middle East. But um, I'm actually really yeah. glad to hear you pick it because now I want to see it more. Yeah, I like the film, um, but more even so than the film, I love the look of it, and it it is gorgeous. And I love. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people are going to be listening to this and be like, really first round choice. But I'm I'm a sucker for friggin' black and white, gorgeous black and white cinematography, and I think that's probably what's etching it higher up on my list than what i originally had uh for my order um because i do i do it, it's a truly beautiful film and i i recommend it for it as a movie but also just for the beautiful look of it um i would recommend it for anybody so that's my pick a girl walks home alone at night nice. all right so i'm gonna get more traditional here but honestly when you first brought up this subject to me like there was there was one movie that just instantly came to my mind um and i have to go with it i have to go with like this sort of i don't know about the goat of this but one of the better ones uh which is the exorcist um i have to do it i mean those those harsh lights um you know that uh, i know it's probably partly because it is the poster, but you, you, you just think of that one shot of, uh, what's his Max Van Seiden, Sido, whatever, Mm -hmm. standing outside, um, with the lights, you know, uh, just beaming on him as he's about to go up and, and not knowing the terror that's about to behold him. So I had to go with it. My number one. Beautiful. No, that's awesome, man. Great pick. I'm actually going to go, I'm just going to take the, my the two most obvious ones actually because go for it i'm drafting the all-star team i guess uh i'm gonna go <laughs> with the shining number two damn it i knew it was, so I, that, that was my risk yeah yep. that's yeah. that's what i had and was about to pick and then yeah was like course. yeah but you know but here's the thing so here's the thing jeremy i've told myself i gotta draft by my heart every time after yeah. after that second episode with lee which really threw me and so i've 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 just stuck with my heart since then that's why i couldn't take the show yeah lee will throw you yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, great pick, man. I, I mean, look, I, I'm not even going to bother jumping in on The Shining. Nick's going to be able to bring a lot more to that conversation than I, so Oops. I'll cede my time to you, sir. Well, I mean, it's, it's your pick, so I, I don't want to step no, on No, feel, feel free. We would already did a whole episode on The Shining, so go for it. Um, well, it's, you know, I'm obsessed with that film, which we've covered on this podcast, I'm sure, several times, so... Um, I'm sure people will be shocked it wasn't my first pick. Um, and I should emphasize that my picks are not necessarily in order of <laughs> anything. Like, The Shining is gorgeous, and I felt like it was going to be too obvious for me. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's so much... Of, like, this is one of the reasons that I think the criteria is so important. Because today, in 2022... The Shining is considered this classic of horror, and it's like a masterpiece of whatever, um, which it is. Um, and I think now it may very well be known for its cinematography. I think when it was released, 
it was also known for its cinematography, but little else. Um, I think people felt it was uh, largely a failure as a horror movie. Um, and one of the reasons that they felt it was a failure as a horror movie was due to the cinematography um, and the set design and all of that stuff. And essentially, this is the first like major horror film that's being shot in wide open brightly lit sets with like wide angle lenses which is like the opposite of the aesthetic of a horror film when you think about it with a um, steady cam with a steady and the, yes and like so and that and that's the other reason it's just like that movie and I know Kubrick they were before Garrett Brown was um hired I think to to shoot that with the steady cam which was like a, obviously a new technology and I think it had been used on maybe two films before or like two major like Rocky and I think maybe the opening of Halloween um more than just the opening, I think. It was used for a, a lot of Halloween. Of Halloween, was it? Just okay. the opening, yeah. yeah. Right. But, like, I think part of the reason you, you associate it more with The Shining than the others is because of the um, symmetry within the use of the Steadicam. And that being unique to that movie at the time. That is that's a Yeah, that's a great point. It's true. And I think there was something about... Um, I think like one of the first uses in The Shining of the Steady, maybe it is the first. I'd have to, um, is Danny riding the tricycle through the Overlook, and it's like shot from behind, you know, this low him. vantage point of like a child riding around, and there was no way to get that shot prior to that technology, um, and maybe that wouldn't have been as um, impactful on a different film, but because those sets are just so huge and like like you said, like just symmetrical and um, the art direction is like gorgeous. And he like captures all of that in like a single shot. And um, like that changed things, I think like not just for horror movies. I mean, that's just like a humongous cinematic innovation. And, um, and the fact that the movie is as scary as it is um, again, while being shot with wide angle lenses in a brightly lit set um, is one of the main reasons I think it's a, masterpiece of horror that's what the psychological nature of the horror in that film shows through all of those things i think people couldn't last look past that in 1980 because it was so radically different um and uh yeah that's all i gotta say about it it's just yeah gorgeous movie and oh one more thing no it's not all i have to say about it i also think it's worth mentioning that like i think kubrick is known for shooting um or like preferring like a one three three aspect ratio, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and I know that The Shining has been released on home video in various formats, and one three three is one of them. It's been released in sixteen nine matted. Um, both of those home video releases have like a little disclaimer on the bottom saying that oh, this is presented in sixteen nine format, the ratio that Kubrick intended. And the other one says this is presented in one three three format, full frame, the ratio that Kubrick intended. Um, those are that's literally on both releases of the film, so I'm not sure, um, again, how it was initially intended to be screened theatrically, but I think that's interesting. Very interesting, yeah. That's awesome, Jeremy. Anything else you wanted to add to uh, The Shining? There, your uh, your second round pick. I mean, the only thing I can really add to it is the sort of iconic nature of it like it 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 
surpasses genre, which Nick sort of alluded to. It's not really like the we're just talking about great cinematography here. It's not even yeah. necessarily a great cinematography within any sort of genre. Like when you think of this movie, there's it's not a movie you think of based on its plot because honestly, does anyone even know what the plot is really? If you start thinking about it, it's it's imagery. That's what what sticks in your head it's jack torrance frozen in a maze it's danny going down the hallway in his tricycle um it's uh you know jack breaking down a door and sticking his face in it's the staircase it's the large rooms it's the typewriter it's the uh, lloyd at the bar it's the bathroom like that's what sticks in your head with this movie it's not um the uh, the plot of what's going to happen necessarily what's going to happen next it's it's all that other stuff that becomes more of a psychological experience than it is um about figuring out these characters necessarily in their plight i mean that's definitely part of it but like i think anyone who thinks of that movie it's more about those other things gotcha great pick um so i actually am going to take another movie wait doesn't isn't wait you go next or nick goes next no i go next because it's serpentine so you Uh, got the back to back so then then i'm in the middle gotcha and that well and then he'll be yeah he'll be right after me and get the back to back himself i see um so speak. I'm going to bring up one that was uh, just talked about, and it's probably the only um, uh, uh, major franchise horror that I, I had on my list, and, and I'm going to take Halloween, primarily for its use of the Panaglide, um, which while it was used, obviously, a lot in that opening sequence to give the, the look and feel of like the one single shot, although they did the, the hidden edit and everything in it. Um, but it's used a lot when they're just walking around the, the sidewalks and the streets of the neighborhood and is used so well within that film to create that creepy atmosphere of being stalked and having someone following right behind you. Uh, the shape, you know, that, that we see, you know, over the shoulder of when Lori's walking off with her friends and everything. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to take Halloween. Um you know, uh, Carpenter insisted on using the Panaglide, even though they didn't have a big budget for that film. But he insisted on using this new technology because it would work so well with the film. And I think it 100% accomplishes what they're going for. And that's why that film is such a classic um, and, you know, really launched the, the, the slasher genre uh, of the 80s. Um, so I'm, I'm going to take Halloween. So, uh, excellent, excellent pick. And, and, and as you were talking about that, I just, it's interesting. Um, we have back to back, like, pioneers of that camera technology. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's worth noting that I think, like, a lot of cinematic innovations begin in the horror genre, which is often mm-hmm. looked at as, like, a lesser genre. But, um, and a lot of, a lot of, like, very famous commercial and art house directors have gotten their start in horror because it's, you know, cheaper to make and, um, and so that's a, it's like a great example, like Halloween and Shining back to back. Well, um, I think I also think like the the cheapness in a way fuels innovation. Hmm. You yeah, know, like point. you you have to get more creative. It's like the complaint I always have, like now that like Scorsese has money, it, <laughs> you know, like he's not making Mean Streets anymore. He's not making Goodfellas. He's everything's going to look more polished and blah, blah, blah. it's fine. It's good. They're great movies, but you know the innovation 
that comes from not having money and having to sort of figure it, figure out different ways to do something. That's always super interesting to me. And I feel like horror has that more than any other genre. Yeah. And, and not to like, you know, uh, bring up something that could be, I guess someone else's picks, but I think think of like the original evil dead, this ultra low budget film, but some of the camera moves and, and things that they were able to do, literally putting a camera on like, just like, you know, wooden board, you know, because they didn't have the the steady cam basically uh, to be able to to use, um, absolutely. And uh, uh, it's really exciting to see kind of uh, those things happen and and then be used and become wider, more widely accepted uh, within the industry. Um, but that's enough of of me rambling. Nick, man, you are up now with the final pick of the second round, and then the back to back with the first round, uh, first pick of the third round. Uh, yeah, I love the way this draft is going. It's got a good flow to it because my next pick is Evil Dead. Um, ah, and, uh, okay. Yeah, and for all those reasons that you just said, it's on a personal note, the reason that I really wanted to get into filmmaking is because like before I knew anything about filmmaking, that was the first thing that, you know, I liked horror. Uh, I knew that. and But the first time I saw Evil Dead, that was the first thing that grabbed me was like, this camera work is incredible. It was the first time I started thinking about people behind the camera um, of a film. And like, just... And maybe that's, again, we're talking about the criteria of like what makes something uh, great cinematography. I mean, it draws a lot of attention to itself, but I think it also is used to great effect in that movie. Um, the innovation is great, putting the camera on the boards and using the boards to smash through windows. And obviously the, um, the uh, you know, whatever, I forget what they call it, but the, de- the deadite cam that flies through the woods, um, all very cool. But there's like a sequence in that movie towards the end. Um, where like the tension is finally ratcheted up and there's like it's the first sequence every camera angle for like a minute and a half is just completely um i mean it's flashy it's but it's but it's there it's like it's either a canted angle or it's like an extreme low angle or it's the camera behind the clock with the the pendulum swinging in front of the lens um there's a whole sequence that's just like back to back incredible camera shots and i think it culminates with one of my favorite shots in horror history which is this camera um a bird's eye view of of uh ash of bruce Campbell walking down a hallway with rafters like a few rafters in the hallway and as the camera passes over each rafter they um there's like a sound effect that sounds like it's like a womp like you you get like flying past something with a camera but like with some distortion added so it winds up sounding kind of like a like a demon's voice um and it's just an incredible use of like it it's just like sound and picture coming together in this perfect way for me i'll and i'll never forget that seeing that for the first time um and then obviously Raimi has like those cameras like i was just reading an interview with john watts i think who did you know the spider-man movies the new spider-man movies who specifically like referenced like as i was trying to make um no way home i was definitely going for the Raimi cam or the Raimi cam um that like you know the snap zooms the crazy kinetic motion. So like he, he left a dent on the industry as a whole, not just the genre or whatever. Um, so that's, nice. yeah, that's definitely my pick. Yeah. Great pick. Great. Cool. And yeah, you're back to back here, Nick. Okay. And uh, yep. Again, I think this follows you pretty nicely. Um, I was going to do, uh, in the mouth of madness. Um, Ooh, okay. Yeah. It, it so 
I'll try to keep it brief, but I just, I, it's not, maybe not the best looking film, like conventionally, if you think about it. Um, but it's kind of my pick in a way of like, this is my way of honoring just all of his, of John Carpenter's. And I know he's not the, the DP of course, but like his movies in general, he's, I, he's worth mentioning because he's, you know, horror is not a genre that typically shoots anamorphic, but he like insists on it in almost every one of his films. And I think he uses it to great effect. Um, even if, you know, the camera's not always moving, it's a lot of still shots and it's not flashy, but it, it gets the job done. And he uses the whole frame um, and it's very cinematic, which is not something that I associate with horror that much. But when you go to a John Carpenter film, that's like, what well, that's what you see. Um, and I picked In the Mouth of Madness specifically because I also think one of the, you know, the important things with cinematography and horror, of course, is lighting um, and the use or non-use of lighting. Uh, as it were and that movie has a ton of uh incredible creature design like lovecraftian creature design that i think is served very well by like minimally lit shots um where he like keeps just enough of it hidden where it doesn't look cheesy um and it just it really allows like that's another great like evil dead was a a great example of like the sound design coming together with the, the the cinematography i think um, this is a great example of like art direction and special effect coming together with the cinematography. Like one does not really work without the other. Um, and they, in fact, they like enhance each other. And John Carpenter, I think is a master of doing that. Excellent. I am ashamed to say I've actually never seen that movie. Oh, it's a good one. I love that movie. So, uh, it's been a while for me. I'll have to put it on the old to watch list. Is it streaming anywhere? Can we get this streaming? That's a great question. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure we can figure it out. Uh, you can rent it on Prime Video for two ninety nine. Okay. I feel like that's that's a good it. deal. Yeah, that's worth it. Yeah. Uh, all right. Wow. Look, I'm I'm more more writing stuff down here, taking notes than anything else. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, okay. So I, I guess I'm up here, and then you're gonna get the back to back after me here, Jeremy. Oh wow. Um, okay. Yeah, so then let's see. All right, uh, I'm going to take uh, another uh, foreign horror movie, actually. Um, I'm going to take Let the Right One Fuck, In. That, right? was actually, that was actually going to be one of mine. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's been a little bit since um, since I've seen it, so I, I feel a little, like I guess, unprepared to, to speak on it more. But I just remember watching it, not just um, you know outside of the the story, just like being so captivated by how gorgeous that film was and how beautifully shot it was. Um, so I, I I I'm sorry that I've stolen it uh, 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 from you, Jeremy. But feel free to talk yeah. No, I feel like I feel the same way. I, it's been a long time since I've seen it, but I do remember being being captivated by the look of this film um, in particular. But yeah, again, it's been it's been a while. Yeah, yeah, same here. Anything you wanted to add, Nick? They I made a, like didn't not... they remake this? They Matt did. Reeves made it, yeah. yeah, which I have not seen, but I've heard that version is great as well. Oh, did I, I, I think was... I have seen the. I think there was like the issue I had with the remake was it was too much like the original. I was just like, why make it? Gotcha. Yeah, I I, yeah. I, I liked it as well, not as much as the original, but and I. I probably actually do share some of your thoughts that it was so similar that it's, you know, there wasn't enough to distinguish it. And like, why, why yeah. even do it? It's kind yeah. of like how I felt about, um, 
the David Fincher version of Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. You know, Same it's here, like yeah. I don't, I don't That's see so much difference here. Both of those movies, I, I remember when when Matt Reeves was making Let Me In. Uh, the remake of Let the Right One In, and I think David Fincher did the same thing. The argument was like, well, I'm not remaking that movie. I'm doing my own adaptation of the book. And it was like, well, yeah, but Which if turned the out the same very closely to the book, then what is the point? <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, that's a good pick, though, Brantley. Good pick. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I realized I saw that on my list, and I was like, oh, I should take that now before it disappears. So anyway, uh, you are up now, Jeremy. The back to Oh, next. finally. Jeez. <laughs> I thought as commission, I was going to skip you, Brantley. <laughs> uh, all right. So speaking of Fincher, I'm actually going to go with one. Of, I'm going to go with seven here. Uh, talk about a mood piece, like a dark, dirty, like there's just something about that film that just absolutely gets you like uh, to the bone. Like <laughs> I, this is going to be, this is going to be a weird example, but this is how I feel about this movie. Like I remember once there was, I went to this, it was like, we were in Montana. I was doing this documentary thing and there was this festival out in the middle of the woods and they had like one porta potty. And I really had to go to the bathroom. So I walked in and it was just literally the most haunting, disgusting thing I've ever seen in my life. And I walked out and I was like, I feel like I just walked into the movie seven. (laughs) So like that's that says something about a movie when you can really like quantify a sort of sinister feeling like that and obviously cinematography has a huge part in this like just the darkness the blacks in this movie uh and he's you know obviously used that in other films not to the for the same effect but like you look at fight club too like just there's like somebody turn on a light (laughs) you know and and uh, in seven, it just becomes so effective, and it's it's really pretty too. Like you think about like when they're driving, when, when before uh, they find find uh, Gwen's head in the box, they're driving down in between all those like str- those poles in the desert. Like that's just like a beautiful shot. There's a bunch of those uh, in this film, um, and I don't think it gets enough credit for its look in it within the horror genre. I mean, like. You, it really sort of defined something within like that sort of serial killer, uh, like feel of a movie. I agree. I haven't seen that movie in so long. I, I like am hesitant to speak on it, but I agree. Yeah. That's what I got, man. Nice. What do you got for the first pick of the fourth round, Jeremy? Uh, okay, so you already took, uh, let the right one in so I can cross that off the old list. Uh, alright, so here's the question. Should I go more classical or more pretentious? Go with your heart. That's what I would say to everybody. Well, that's a silly thing to say. (laughs) We're doing horror movies here. Um, alright. I'm gonna go with a pretentious pick that I haven't seen in 20 years, but the look of it still sticks out to me. And okay. it is Nosferatu, the original. 
Huh? That's oh. not pretentious at all. I'm so glad that you picked that. I'm glad someone picked it. So yeah. here, here's an, uh, a movie that just the the shadows, the angles, the way they reveal the monster. I mean, granted, when was this movie made? 1920? Something like that? I don't even know. I could... I'll look it up real quick. Um, but the fact I haven't seen it, 1922, I haven't seen it in in 20 years and i still think of it i mean it's it's like a german expression expressionism film right correct me if i'm mm-hmm. wrong um and, and i can still remember the scenes where the monster just sort of like comes out of the shadows from the background and it's just it's absolutely horrifying um i recently heard something on i think like npr or something about this film that they had that there was a big lawsuit over it um, back in the day between uh, Bram Stoker's uh, who who wrote the, the book Dracula and the producers of this movie. And this movie was pretty much almost lost forever um, because uh, Bram Stoker's estate, I think it was his, his uh, widow, uh, su- sued the film and won. And basically they couldn't distribute it. And had I think she had a, like a lot of the um, the original prints destroyed, and I'm pretty sure the the uh, you know any music was destroyed with it, and they had to like re-record re-record the music and restore the film um, many many years later. But um, yeah, I mean, it's obviously a very famous and influential film in terms of its look and uh, the use of light and dark and shadows and angles. Um, but I, to me, it's more about its lasting impact in in my mind's eye 20 years later. Yeah, I'm glad we're getting such... Uh you know trailblazing horror films in here as well um i I, you know i was i didn't know actually what to expect coming into this draft but i I am happy to see that because i had thought about nosferatu and like the cabinet of dr caligari and stuff like that as well um but those you know weren't they didn't come from the heart so i'm gonna have a freaking broken record uh and so that's why they hadn't uh made my list but i'm glad that they're on yours man because i loved nosferatu and um Gosh, I remember buying the DVD of that at Strawberries in Keene, which is now a Five Guys, and uh, and you know watching that uh, over and over because uh, I was I, I I loved it back in the day. It was one of my it was one of my favorite of like the classic older horror films, the Universal Monsters, some of the originals, especially like the first two Frankenstein's and the Creature from the Black Lagoon were really high up there. But then also like Nosferatu was really up there too for me for like a, like these early horror films um, that really uh, spoke to me. So I'm I'm very happy to see it get drafted here. It's had a hundred years of films come after it, and it's still it's still getting made drafted. a top fifteen list, man. That's that's amazing. Great. Uh, all right. Wow. Okay, so I'm on the board again here. Um, okay. So the next film that I want to pick, I think I'm going to have to get the commissioner to approve here. I think of it as a horror film, or at least like a multi-genre film. Um, but I guess it could easily be argued as is maybe not. But I was gonna draft under the skin. Oh yeah, that's on my that's on my list. 
Oh, okay, good. All right. So, so, commissioner so no. So, ah! <laughs> <laughs> um. So this is it's it's so funny, and I'm drafting this specifically for cinematography because I still, years later, don't know what I think of this film. Um, I was captivated by it, but I don't know if I liked it. I found it like I, so the look of it so beautiful and compelling, but I don't know if like you know the story's really all there. I, anyway. It, it, this happens every once in a while with with films for me where I'm very like interested in them and I'm thinking about them for a while afterwards, but I, I don't know or even think I like them. You know, something like Spring Breakers 2 comes to mind where I was thinking about that for, you know, weeks and months afterwards. And I'm like, but I, I honestly don't think I liked it. In fact, I think I disliked that movie, but it was still thinking about it for, for so long. And Under the Skin is one I would, certainly didn't dislike, but I... I, uh, no, I'm I I'm with of it. I'm with you on that, Brantley. I I felt the same way. I just didn't speak to me in any sort of uh, sense of connection, whether it be like um, through like story wise or or character wise or like I also understood it. It looked really nice, but yeah. I just couldn't get there with it. Yeah, it's a very cold movie, and not in the you know way it's shot, but just like the way you, the feel of it is very cold, and, and so it didn't connect with me like you're saying as well. But gosh, did it look beautiful, uh, Nick? Have you seen this? Um, <clears throat> I actually don't think I have. I was trying to remember if I've seen it, but um, remind me, is that who directed it? Oh gosh, I actually don't know. Uh, it, it's Scarlett Johansson. Okay, yes, and... that's what I. I confusing. Okay, all film, right. So no, I have not seen that. No. Okay. You're not thinking of the uh, oh god, what was the um, uh, the, not the Antonio Banderas one? The Almodovar. That the one you were thinking. That's the movie. Yeah, I am the thinking of. Yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah. okay. So Jonathan Glazer directed it. Gla- yep, there you go. Yep. Okay. Yeah. No, I never saw Under the Skin. Yeah. So she, anyway, Scarlett Johansson, she's an alien, and I think that's part of the reason it's so cold is that she's literally not human, but she disguised. She's you know disguised as a human, and and basically is luring men. And, and killing them and bring them in, oh actually she brings them into like this black goo uh yeah anyway. oh yeah i forgot about the black goo yeah they all get sucked <laughs> and, into the black goo yeah so anyway it's yeah just very specifically for the cinematography because it is a gorgeous looking filming beautifully shot and it you know really handles um like those scenes were like we're in this black goo. I'm like I have no idea how they shot this because it's just there's nothing. It's like it's like a white void and then this black goo that like she goes into and it's so weird and creepy but beautiful at the same time. And so anyway, that's why that's my fourth round pick under the skin. Nice and uh, yeah, and uh, and now you are up, Nick, with the back to back, the last pick of the fourth round and the first pick of the fifth. Okay, yeah. This is where things start falling apart for me. Um, I'm going to... Yeah, this is... I don't know. There's so many movies here that could just, like, go in this spot. So I'm just going to, like... I'm going to go with my my heart. Um, And maybe this is just because I recently saw this film, but I'm going to pick The Deep House, um, which is actually a movie from the last year or two. Um, I can't remember who directed it. I want to say the... guys who did martyrs or no the guys who did inside maybe the french filmmakers who did inside um 
I think it was them. Either way, it was two French filmmakers and um, Alexander Bustillo. Bustillo, thank you. Yes, and um, Julian Mori. Yes, yes. I think, and they did Inside. So, the premise of the film is just that there is an underwater haunted house, Um, and that's the like that's the premise of the film. That could be the tagline. That's the description of the movie. It's exactly what you think it is it's like they tell you it's an underwater haunted house and it's exactly what they do and the entire movie takes place essentially um in a sunken haunted house that two scuba divers are exploring um and i don't know that it's the most gorgeous movie that i've ever seen i'm far from it i don't know that it's the best you know it's definitely not the best haunted house movie i've ever seen but just on a technical level to to make that happen it's such an outlandish idea um and also, I think just like I have like a just deep sea in general where it's so dark and still like that's just a perfect environment for horror. And um, so they, they it's captured in like a pretty incredible way. It's just like you think about horror movies and weird movement of monsters or ghosts. And here you have all of the characters moving slowly underwater in this very ghostly way. Um, very cool. Yeah. I, I haven't even heard of this movie. That sounds awesome. I, I will probably find that very scary. I am freaked out by the monsters and creatures that live under the ocean. And it's one of the things that like I find the most terrifying. It was a creepy um, movie. Okay, interesting. Definitely. I'm going to have to check that out now, man. That's awesome. Yeah, I, rec- I mean, I liked it. I, I recommend it. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's that. And now... Um, man, okay. If I go with my heart, I'm probably going to break a few rules because I'd be picking three movies at once that just I consider like sister movies. So I'm not going to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, we could we could talk about it in the honorable mentions if nobody if nobody picks them. Um, yeah, I'm going to pick a movie that honestly I, I'm so torn about this because I I really think it's an ugly movie and I, it's not one of my favorite movies by any stretch. But I'm going to pick Twenty Eight Days Later. Um, oh, I actually like that pick. I didn't even think about that movie. Yeah, I think that's another that's one like The Deep House, where it's just like on a technical level um, to shoot the way they shot, um, you know, to like close part of the city. You get like one opportunity to capture this, so you know they shoot digital for budget reasons and for that reason stuff, alone. Stuff like that gives me anxiety. Oh, I I can't even. Yeah, especially yeah, like you got this is it this is your chance. Yeah. And I think because it's shot on video, it's one of the reasons I think it looks so. It like also is like what was two thousand four video, so like the technology it's wasn't mini even... DV, right? Yeah, I'm mini sure DV, mini DV, and yeah. like yeah, blown and up, blew it up. Yeah, yeah. So it doesn't look good, but also they do a lot of stuff like you think about video and how the but criticism it's... of video is it's so real and like the realism and like immediacy, and he like does that. He like expands that by like using a super high shutter speed and like making that even more evident like the saving private ryan effect and it's pretty cool mm-hmm. when they right but right. like it's that argument we have like uh, like what is good cinematography does it just look pretty or does right. it serve the story within the you know using the video as the like because it's super effective in this movie so yep. that's good cinematography if it works to serve the story just that's as much cool. as 
you know, The Shining is a beautiful movie that, you know, it's like you could argue, I don't know, I don't think it's going to be on your list, but you could even argue like Blair Witch Project has great cinematography because it's a found footage. It started this whole revolution of found footage, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, so it's not, no, it's not like technically beautiful, but it's not supposed to be. (laughs) Blair Witch Project (laughs) would not work, um, you know. With a a, a be- like in Lawrence of Arabia aspect ratio, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. If Dean Cundy was behind the lens, yeah. you know, I don't think it's necessary. Yeah. Uh, okay. Wow. Yeah. That I that I really like that pick too. I mean, it definitely took me by surprise. But you're a hundred. You're right. I mean, like serving the story with the, the cinematography, it definitely belongs there. Um. I'm actually surprised I haven't had a, any more like super recent films. Although I guess A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night is is not is not too old now. Um, so I am gonna take a more modern horror film, um, and I'm kind of between two, and that's why it's taking me a second. Kamish, sorry, I know I'm on the clock. <laughs> Delay of game. I'm gonna I'm gonna take. Jeez, no, I was about to say one, and then I stopped myself. Okay, I'm going to take Midsommar. Okay. I'm going to take Midsommar over the other one I was thinking of, which I'm sure will come up in Undrafted Free Agents if it doesn't go to Jeremy with this next pick. Um, but yeah, I mean... I, it's sort of similar to Under the Skin. I, 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 no, I actually... I know I know, I enjoyed and liked Midsommar. I, uh, but what really... St- struck me about that was how beautiful they made that movie look and the fact that they could make something as unsettling and uh that gets under your skin in so much beautiful bright sunlight and outdoors well i mean it's not even just the sunlight stuff i mean it's like all flowers and roses and bright bright colors and all that stuff it's it's very it's like very jarring between what's happening and what you're seeing and i think that's part of it but i would yes absolutely i would almost argue and and it's definitely an honorable mention for me but i would almost argue that midsommar is more of it's more about the set design than the cinematography oh okay it's more about set design costuming than it is about the cinematography i would argue Mm. that all right no, I think they certainly work well together. Yeah, to, for sure. To make the type of unsettling thing that we're uh, talking about, but I mean, I think too about you know, I mean, so much of that is in that is in bright light. You know, I mean, it's like what you were talking about with Shining. Like that's not how anyone had made horror movies before. You you stay in darkness. It's creepy. Blah blah. blah. But there are also aspects of that of Midsommar that are like you know, like when um, um, what's the name of um. When the guy goes to get the book in the church, in the church there, the temple there at night, and then gets killed, that are just like that. You know, that's not in that bright sunlight. That's in that darkness, and it's playing both so well. Mm-hmm. And 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 like was such a creepy, well done scene. And um, I'm trying to remember because that, that that used like some like shadow really well in that scene, if I remember correctly too. And uh, I, I just thought all of it worked really well together and was beautiful. Um, you guys will hear what the other one was. I was between in the uh, undrafted free agents. If, if it doesn't go to Jeremy next, but uh, 
yeah. Anyway, Mitomar. I I feel like I've been I've really done a really bad job talking about the, my picks and, and why. And no, no. Uh, but anyway, anyway, Jeremy, I'm throwing it to you. No, I think I home. I think Midsommar is a, a great pick for this. Um, I just I just wonder. I mean, and the cinematography is is great. I just wonder how much like it, like you're saying one helps the other. The set design really does help yeah. the cinematography, but the cinematography is handcuffed by what we were just saying as far as like needing to be in uh, you know, bright lights with these like vibrant colors for a lot mm-hmm. of the movie. Um, so the only way to do that is it's it's a lot simpler, you know. Um, but it's just an interesting thought, you know, experiment. All right, yeah, so yeah, absolutely. I am totally caught between like what would be a more interesting pick, but I'm not 100% sure you guys would go along with it being a horror film. Or... Doesn't matter what we think. Yeah, exactly. You're the you. Yeah, I feel like I could, as commissioner, if you both voted it down, I'd be, if it's a two, two nothing. Yeah. The commissioner answers to no man. All right, I'm gonna go with it, but you guys can you can boo me if you want. Uh, I'm actually gonna go with Requiem for a Dream. All right, uh, Do not disagree. Yep, not it's such. I mean, in my mind, it's a horror film. It's it's a horror from the jump of this movie. It's horrific. It is horrific. Sure. It's uh, we we not recently last few years watched it um, for the podcast, and I have to say it is absolutely brilliant and the cinematography is it's stunning like the use of the camera for them to get the feel that they're trying to get across to the audience it's amazing it's like when um uh, ellen burston's characters on those like weight loss pills and the camera's like attached to her here and she's you know there's that thing where you're walking around like this and they do it for all the characters when they're all high and on drugs and the close-ups of the eye i mean it's all become famous at this point um but it was it was new and interesting and it works so well and it holds up so well if you watch that movie now you'll be like jesus this is like this is like a a it's as if you took a music video and 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 elevated it to a masterpiece. It's like crazy what they're able to accomplish with within the editing and and here's another question is how much is the editing? How much is cinematography? How much do they work together here? But um yeah, I, I had to give it credit because it's so innovative. Um and I do think it's a I do think it's a horror movie. It's it's it sticks with you. Yeah. I, I immediately yeah. stopped doing heroin when I saw it. <laughs> Congrats. Thanks. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you're going to get no argument from me or, or probably either Nick or I. I you know, no. whenever we've been commissioners, I, I think both of us have, have a leave a real wide breath of what is falls under the horror category. So, yeah, I, I'm happy to have you uh, having Requiem for a Dream there on the list because, yes, it is a... a a really well done uh, film. So I think, especially with horror, it's so subjective. It, it's really tough to tell someone something's not a horror movie. Right. I was like yeah. looking at this. I have this book. I was looking at this as, to try to. It's one of my favorite books. Trying to like rack my memory earlier, and like you know, Wizard of Oz is on is in here as a as a horror film. 
Um, it freaked me out as a and kid. Rated highly. Yeah. yeah, it's a scary movie. Yeah, there's like Kinder Trauma. Like... Those flying monkeys freak me out, man. Yeah, it's scary. It's terrifying. The Wizard of Oz probably has like pound for pound the most trauma ever given to children. Like that's that's true. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. No, that's 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 great. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's. I mean, it's all so much of that plays in. It's like you know your you know how old you are when you watch something right you know that just that and, and you know i mean it, it, this is a larger thing about film in general but just like the mood you're in when you watch a film and how that's going to affect like your take on it and that kind of stuff no that's that's great but all right to recap the draft uh nick in the first round you took the innocence to much to the chagrin of jeremy and i uh, in the second round you took the evil dead in the third round you took in the mouth of madness in the fourth round you took the deep house and in the fifth round you took 28 days later uh in uh the first round i took a girl walks home alone at night in the second round i took halloween in the third round i took let the right one in i followed that up with under the skin in the fourth and then rounded it all out with midsomar in the fifth and our guest jeremy and commissioner of this uh draft you took the exorcist in the first round the shining in the second seven in the third nosferatu in the fourth and you finished off the draft with requiem for a dream guys i have to say that's a pretty good lineup it is a yeah. really good lineup. I feel pretty good yeah. about it. <laughs> yeah. Now, um, w- what we call our honorable mentions are our undrafted free agents, mm-hmm. Jeremy. Yep. So are there any undrafted free agents you'd sign to your team? Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's a few obvious ones like Jaws and Alien I yeah. wanted to talk about. I mean, uh, but, you know. I wanted, I wanted to go with something a little more interesting that we could talk about. One I do want to say is because it sort of, in my mind, was sort of the linchpin change between film and digital when and, we're, and when we're talking about, like, beautiful digital cinematography and it's Zodiac. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I wanted that. That's definitely an honorable mention for me just because it was, it was one of those first digital movies that was just pretty like it just was beautiful um and then i guess i'll throw in something like um there's a bunch of like lars van trier maybe i throw in a melancholia for shits and giggles i love that movie gotcha i gotta see that again gotcha yeah because that was a beautiful that was a beautiful movie oh yeah yeah, I, I remember. I think I, this probably came up and get your film back. I I remember not enjoying that film the first time, and then like watching it again and being like, "What the?" It's one of those. <laughs> it was one of those movies where you can almost take any frame and put it up on a wall, sort of like mm-hmm. the Barry Lyndon types. There's very few movies like that, but I think Melancholy is one of them. Yeah, absolutely gorgeous. Uh, the the uh, so I had Alien on my list too. That was the only other possible big franchise, you know, one that I was was going to talk about besides halloween and uh, the other one i was between with midsomar was it follows mm. um which is another like you know gorgeous uh you know one with like some really i think great you know camera work in it that really served the story and talk about shadow work jesus christ when that like super tall giant <laughs> comes out of the shadow it's like <laughs> where the hell did he come from uh but you know i had to go with you know, I I, I, I went with Midsommar uh, on that one. Um, 
Pan's Labyrinth is one where it's it's a film where I'm not like a bit as big of a fan of the film as I am the look of it and and the the cinematography that they did. Um, and then there was a couple other kind of classic ones in both Psycho and um, The Cat People uh, were a couple others that I had. Other again black and white ones that I had on my list, but that um, uh, didn't get drafted. And I had Suspiria on here as well, but honestly, it has been so long since I've seen the original Suspiria, and I remember it being like full of color and vibrant, but I just I, I didn't feel comfortable speaking on it because it's just been so long. Um, but Nick, I, I'd love to hear what what you had on your list. Um, yeah, so that that last sort of pick of the three sort of sister movies I was thinking would have been like Pan's Labyrinth, Devil's Backbone, and. Um, the orphanage i know the orphanage wasn't actually guillermo del toro he produced it but like they i think of those movies on the same sort of like and they're all gorgeous and they're all they all have like similar atmospheres and, and moods i guess um what else <clears throat> um well you mentioned jaws i think just spielberg's filmography in general like he he has horror elements in his movies like you could argue jurassic park is maybe a horror movie i know he did duel he started out with like a short horror movie called i the eye eyes um for like a twilight zone show <clears throat> i forget which it wasn't outer limits it wasn't twilight zone i forget what it's called night gallery i think that was like his oh, okay. one of his debuts and that was more horror but like i would love to see him because he just his use of light is incredible like in all of his films if he just like did an outright horror film i would be all over that um that would be very did cool. you guys did you guys see west side story i haven't yeah. yet i mean even if you like i was never a big fan i'm still not a big fan of the music in it uh, just i have a hard time getting into like this concept of them just i don't know whatever but it is the cinematography by janusz amazing best cinematography of the year by far and the direction by spielberg's just out of this world nice. that's awesome i mean yeah he's you know he j he has an eye for visual flair like no question i guess yeah. you could like uh, you know poltergeist is I know it's not Spielberg, although some people say will say it is. Yeah, um, yeah. But that's you know another good use of like light and stuff. He just he has a certain flair. Um, oh, there was one other one, and I can't remember what it was now, so it's not worth mentioning. I think we we covered. Oh, um, deep. I I would have said like deep red. I haven't seen Suspiria, so I, I've seen Deep Red. I gotta see Suspiria. Yeah. But like again, Jalo in general, like you said, is known yeah, for being very yeah. pretty. Um, and absolutely yeah and that that's uh, look i mean <sighs> film and just, and like every genre of film there's like so much that no one can know everything but i i definitely feel like i have a real kind of hole in my giallo knowledge and and it's really maybe something that i should just start like sitting down and trying to set aside some time to to watch some because it's just yeah it's there's so much just within that subgenre that i i haven't seen and and um really probably should so yeah i'm sure a lot of people listening to this might be like where the frig is all the giallo so <laughs> no same. sorry folks <laughs> that's what you were looking for i should also mention one more that i'm, I'm seeing it on my shelf now and, and thinking i should have mentioned it um i'm gonna say i i would add that there as like a modern example um, the Conjuring has some great camera work. Um, I, I've talked to a few people about this. I don't know that I picked up on it like consciously, but unconsciously, um, even the first time I saw it, you, you can notice like when they first enter the house, there's like one long shot, completely motivated by the camera move, like by the character movements, um, like 
passing in and out of different rooms and stuff and the camera kind of just goes into the house and like walks through all of the rooms on the first floor and it gives you an exact layout of the set um and it's like a completely motivated not out like it just feels natural and it's important in the movie to like i mean spatially um in that in that movie i think um to establish that and again to be able to do that in like a natural way that doesn't call too much attention to itself like i didn't even notice but it's true there's just like one shot just lays it out for you and then that's it you're you're off and running and you know the layout of the house you know what you're dealing with um and i think james wan is is pretty good at at that kind of like again i wouldn't say any of his movies are the prettiest movies in the world but he does like I think he uses his camera in a purposeful way, um, and and he's pretty good about that. Death Sentence has a really great one-shot scene. Um, terrible movie. I don't think I've don't think I've seen that since it came out on DVD. And, and I agree, it was not very. Yeah, good. It, wasn't, it wasn't. I mean, it's not terrible. It was fun, but um, yeah. But yeah, he does he does good stuff with his camera. Anyway, that's it. Nice. Awesome. Well, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of the Horror Drafts Podcast. Jeremy, man, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for that. thanks for having me. Sorry it took me so long to uh, get on the uh, the pod, but uh, happy to oh. do it again. Let's keep drafting. I feel like I won the draft, so I just want to keep winning. <laughs> oh, that reminds me. Nick, I, I, I've been meaning to – I wish there was a way on Instagram where we could just like who, easily who won? set up a poll. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, you can do, polls, you can do right? two – well, you can do with two. You can do one or the other, uh, but then you could do like a trivia question that has like four, but then there's wrong answers. So, yeah. Right. Oh, that's interesting. I guess we'd have to. I have to. I wish there was a way on Instagram because we don't have Twitter. So, Twitter, you can do polls and stuff. So, but anyway, yeah, I was meaning to put like, you know, what everyone drafted and what rounds and then like let people, let us, having people let us know who they think won and everything. We so. should do, yeah, we got to find a way to do that. That's a great idea. It's like, encourage people to interact with us a bit more yeah absolutely well and, and you got a really nice uh someone reached out and and uh recently and told you how much they like the pod so that was really great that really made our days when we heard that yeah yeah that was awesome nice. yeah yeah jeremy thank you so it was oh, nice to meet you first of all but thank you for nice doing this you. this is great yeah of course um had a lot of fun yeah well yeah. we'll have to have you uh guys on the uh get you you'll get your film fix yeah, I would love to. And and please come back here. Sounds absolutely. good. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. Cool. The song you heard in this episode is You Are a Monster by Monroeville Music Center. It's being used under a CCBY Creative Commons license and was accessed from freemusicarchive.org. If you'd like to hear more of Monroeville Music Center, you can find them on Bandcamp, their Facebook page, YouTube, Spotify, Pandora, Apple Music, Discogs, iHeartRadio, and Deezer. And hey, if you want to reach out and communicate with us, please send an email to horrordraftspod at gmail.com or find us on Instagram at horrordrafts, all one word. We'd love to hear any questions you have for us, suggestions for topics to draft, or ideas for guests especially if you can put us in touch with them. Thanks, everyone, and we hope to hear from you soon. Mm-hmm.